My name is Erskine Bell, the host of the Black Self-Sabotage Trap podcast. This podcast takes an honest look at why so many Black Americans continue to lag behind all other groups in so many areas. Is this a byproduct of racism? Or is it largely due to the influence of Black culture, Black self-sabotage? Today's episode is entitled, Is It Time to Assimilate? Years ago, in a Star Trek episode, they came across a species called the Borg. The Borg were colonizing the entire universe. Whenever they encountered a new species, their greeting was, We are the Borg. You will be assimilated. Your uniqueness will be added to our collective. Resistance is futile. Is it time for black Americans to be fully assimilated into the American collective? Recently, I had a conversation with one of the students that had come through the center. A young black guy, a recent college graduate, he had been interviewing but he was not getting any offers, and he was a little down about that. He was a graduate of Rollins University, a university that many feel is the number one regional university in the South. His grandmother that raised him stipulated in her will that her entire state was to be sold and the money put into a trust to be used exclusively for his college education. Rollins' tuition is like $56,000 a year just for the tuition, plus other stuff. So in four years, over $200,000 had been spent on his education. During the Zoom calls, since it had been a few years, it took a few minutes for me to reacquaint myself with him. To get a feel for what was going on, I said to him, let's do a mock interview that I'm very familiar with the field that you are interviewing in, so let's do a mock interview. And as I was talking with him, I discovered that he wanted to be a technical software project manager. He was very solid on all of the development methodologies, had a good understanding of DevOps, He had already taken the initiative to get certified in AWS cloud technologies, and he was also a certified project manager already. So he had put in a lot of work to prepare himself for the career that he wanted to work in. So I gave him a few do's and don'ts on the interview process. And after a few minutes, as we started to get to the end of the interview, I said, let me tell you a story. When I was about your age, a recruiter came to the college, and I don't know how she did it, but somehow she got me an interview with IBM in Gaithersburg, Maryland. For me, it was a big deal. At that time, working for IBM was the pinnacle of career achievement, the best of the best work for IBM. The college had prepared me very well for the interview process. 
So when I went for the interview, I breezed through the interview process. When I got back home and shared the interview with one of my professors, I told him that I noticed that the men all wore a uniform. They wore a dark suit, which was dark gray or dark blue. There were no greens, no purples, no tans, but dark suits. They wore a long sleeve white shirt with a button down collar with a red or burgundy tie, wingtip shoes, the hairstyle, short crew cut, and they were all clean shaved and they carried a briefcase. So he asked me, he said, Well, E, do you understand what social norms are? He was just testing me because we had covered it in his class. So I repeated it back to him. I let him know that social norms are unwritten rules of beliefs, attitudes, behaviors that are considered acceptable in a particular social group. He said to me, if you get this job, you will be part of a social group that is different than what you are accustomed to. He looked at me and said, you will have to conform to their workplace norms. I said, like what? He says, if your boss tells a joke, you need to laugh even though it's not funny that you need to develop a corporate laugh. And he shared other things with me, but he was trying to get me to understand that I am going to a place to work if they offer me the job, and I will have to conform to the social norms of the workplace that I was going to. So a few days later, I received my offer letter. The first thing that I did, I got rid of that little small afro that I had that we were wearing back then. I got a crew cut, purchased me two suits, a dark gray, dark blue, wingtip shoes, long sleeve white shirts, briefcase. And I was so proud that first day that I went to work. I had convinced myself that in five years, I'd be running the place. That first day, I parked my car, marched into the place in my uniform, carried my briefcase. There was nothing in it but my lunch. But I was the man. So the young man said to me, so you're telling me then that I need to cut my hair and take out my nose ring. Being that I'm bald and not up to date on the latest hairstyles, he had one huge braid on top of his head and some sort of big braid sticking out the back of his head and interwoven in it was some type of uh, tan type hair and he had a big bushy beard and a nose ring. My wife tells me that when I'm dealing with issues that I can be cold, that I can be too matter-of-fact, it is what it is kind of attitude. So I chose my words carefully, you know, being older now. So I said to him, even though I'm an old man now, 
I still love a game of pickup basketball from time to time. And when I go out there, when someone finally chooses me, when we are picking who we're going to guard, if there's a white guy on the other team, I always choose that guy to guard. Now, why am I picking the white guy? Because I've been conditioned to think that he is not going to be as fast and that he's not going to jump as high. So I'm going to guard him because I've been conditioned to think that way. And I said another time, three years ago, I was playing flag football. And I intercepted a pass, and there was nobody between me and the goal line. But to my surprise and to everybody else's amazement, This little white kid ran me down and caught me from behind. And everybody started to laugh at me saying, they're going to take my brother card. You know, how could I let this white guy run me down and catch me? Because even the white kids were saying that. How did you catch him? Because we had been conditioned to think that white people don't run very fast and that black people run very fast, no matter what the age was. But as we continued to play, it started to rain, and the kid that ran me down and caught me, his hair sort of poofed up in something like an afro. So everyone looked at him and said, oh yeah, I see now, I see, I see now. You are right, man. And by the same token, society has been conditioned to be afraid of or highly suspicious of black people that look and dress like you. Right or wrong, it is what it is. You see, if I was walking at night and met you on the street, I'd cross over to the other side myself. If I drove past you, I'd lock the door. You one big scary looking dude. Before I answer your question, though, you asked me a valid question. But before I answer your question, I need to know with whom am I speaking. He said, what do you mean? You know me. I used to come to the center. I said, yes, and your grandmother was that church lady. He said to me, yeah, she took me to church every Sunday. I asked him, I said, did she ever read to you 1 Corinthians 13, 11? When I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I understood like a child. Now I am a man, I don't act like a child anymore. Today, am I speaking with the child or the man that your grandmother thought that you would one day grow up to become? He was about to speak, and I raised my hand to cut him off. I said, if I'm speaking to the child, and I remember what my wife said, that I can be a little cold sometimes, so I had to think about what I was going to say. So I said, if I'm speaking to the child, you need to grow the hell up and understand that the world does not conform to your values. But if I'm speaking to the man, then I challenge you to honor your grandmother's lifetime sacrifice. 
She had three children of her own, but she left them nothing and she left everything to you because she saw potential in you. Yes, you need to conform your appearance to the society that you wish to work and earn a living. If that means cutting off your hair or restyling your hair, then that's what you do. If you're man enough, here's what I recommend that you do. The next interview that you go on, you have an interview coming up next week at a Wall Street firm. Here's what you do. Get a crew cut. Take the ring out of your nose. Get a dark suit. Long sleeve, white shirt. Red tie. And I'll bet you $500 that you get the job. Ten days later, he called me and let me know that he got the job but he still didn't understand why he had to cut his hair. But the question today is, is it time for black Americans to fully assimilate into American society? In Gene Daddle's book, Reckoning with Race, America's Failure, he writes, to assimilate should be a greater priority for blacks than the overzealous pursuit of cultural acceptance. The eye on the prize should be focused on economic improvement, not perceived slights in a separate black society. Although the 14th Amendment in 1868 granted citizenships to blacks, Social norms continued to exclude them from the process of assimilation. Other newcomers to America were urged toward assimilation. In 1793, Washington welcomed German immigrants but cautioned them against retaining their language, habits, and principles. He stated, Better that they intermix, he wrote, with our people assimilate to our customs, measures, and laws, in a word, soon become one people. With the history of race in this country, at one time it was impossible for black people to assimilate in American society. But has the time come now for us to assimilate into American society as thoroughly as other groups have? One writer wrote it this way. He wrote, There is a thriving upper and middle class black community that has fully assimilated into America's value system. Opportunities never before possible are now available for those African Americans who have an enabling education. However, it appears that upper and middle class blacks are afraid of their own people, the large black underclass. For some reason, they lack the backbone to tell their own people the truth and hold them accountable. Is what the writer said true? 
Are we afraid of our own people? Are we afraid to tell them the truth? I would love to hear from you on this point. Please go out to our website, blackselfsabotagetrap.com, and leave us a voice message. I would love to hear from you on this point. Understand, before we can achieve any major broad-based improvement in the social and economic status of blacks, they must develop a frank process of self-examination to replace the current unwillingness to look objectively at destructive behavioral norms. Otherwise, the many programs designed specifically to aid blacks will fail to achieve a large-scale transformation. This particular burden of facing themselves lies squarely on the black community. Thanks for tuning in today. Remember, we are the masters of our own destinies. If you enjoyed the episode today and would like to be made aware when new episodes are posted, please subscribe on Apple or Google Podcasts. Or you can visit us at blackselfsabotagetrap.com. We would love to hear from you. Send us your comments about our show by using the website contact page to send us an email or clicking on the microphone icon to send us a voice message. Cheers. <laughs>